Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I've entitled this An Open Heart of Love for the Flow of Grace. An Open Heart of Love for the Flow of Grace. What we're going to speak about is grace dispensed from open hearts in fathers to open hearts in sons. Okay? Grace dispensed from open hearts in fathers to open hearts in sons. Now, uh, on Sunday we looked at this text briefly, and I'm going to start off from here before we go into our study to that. The text is Ephesians 3 and verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Again, I want to stress, there's a quantum and quality of grace that will only come to you if you access it in an apostolic father. God has positioned in your world or within your sphere to receive it. Contextually, this verse, Paul is speaking as an apostle to the whole city of Ephesus. The book of the Ephesians is written to the church of Ephesus. That church is, is made up of multiple households of faith, each headed by an elder who functions as a spiritual father over that congregation. Those leaders were leaders of households, all relate to Paul as an apostolic father. When he writes this today, he's saying, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace given to me for, for you. Okay? In terms of the apostle to whom we relate as a congregation, that, that person is Pastor Thabo Naidu. He can too say to us, you have heard of stewardship of grace which is given to me for you. Yeah, in Durban. There's many sons in Durban. Like Paul would write to Ephesus, he would, if he were to send an epistle, he would send it to the church in Durban. I know of five or six sons, spiritual sons, leading congregations that he has. So we're elders of a congregation. But we draw grace, apostolic grace from an apostolic father. So when we lead local congregations as elders over congregations, we function as spiritual fathers of the sons that God has given to us to care for, which is you, okay? Given to us to watch over, to watch over your soul. Um, and our intent is that you might be conformed to the image, the stature of Christ. Apostolic grace is meant to mature you. I spoke in brief about the word stewardship, remember? Just quickly. It's the, it's the Greek term oikonomia. Or stewardship, and it's built up of two words, oikos and nomos. Oikos meaning house or household, and nomia from the Greek text or term nomos, which means law. So oikonomia, oiko from oikos, which means household, and nomia from nomos, which means law. Right? Just try and paint a picture in your mind. 
To steward something means to manage it on behalf of another. You don't own the thing, but the thing is given to your trust. Responsibly must you act. Not so? It's, it's required, the Bible says, for example, of stewards that they must be faithful. Right? So Paul realizes God the Father of Christ gave me something to look after on his behalf. What is the property? It's the very essence of what is comprised of its grace. He needs someone to manage it in terms of its distribution. Now, why do I say distribution? Because the, 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 the word nomos, meaning law, is derived from a Greek term nemo, meaning to distribute or to parcel out. Right? So when Paul has this idea of, hey, God has given me grace, he's not just saying, oh, look after it. When he used the word oikonomia, he's framing in our minds the context in which the grace will come to you. He's saying it's given to me for you. But you're not going to get it until you locate yourself in an oikos, a household. In that household, uh, comprised, and what is a household comprised? Come on, dude. Father and, and sons. So in that economy or household or structure or arrangement, if you will, is meant to facilitate the flow and transfer of grace. Grace will always flow. But grace flows most effectively, efficaciously, and most efficiently, listen carefully, from a father to a son. Here's the deal I really want to stress. The flow of grace is most ideally facilitated within the context of a spiritual father to his spiritual son. That spiritual father has many spiritual sons within a household of faith. Victor Oikos. Victor Oikos translated house doesn't mean house as in brick. The term oikos doesn't mean the house as in structure. Whenever you read the word household or oikos, Greek, the, the, the Hebrew equivalent is bayit. Bayit. B-A-Y-I-T-H. Both bayit and oikos allude to the quality of relationships in the house as opposed to the structure of the house. So when you say, I belong to Gate Ministries, Durban Central, that is the church or the house hold I go to. What you are saying in your mind, I'm going to an arrangement of relationships. This you must you must lodge in your mind. I'm not going to a house. Um, you can you don't go to church, you know that. You don't go to church. The church comes to a an agreed upon meeting venue. The venue is not the church. The quality of the relationships is the church. So I know we use it so glibly we're going to church and it's acceptable, but it's not publicly accurate. The church simply gathers at, a, at, a, at an agreed upon venue. What's important is that you observe the quality of relationships in the house. The house, like I said, is headed by a father with sons. In that economy, when Paul used this word stewardship, he had in mind the idea of how grace would be nemoed, distributed out to sons in the house. <coughs> so, I asked this question a few weeks ago. You want more grace? People put their hands up. Yes, 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 yes. But there's a dynamic of grace that very few access. It's grace that comes to you. 
It's not just because you can identify who your father is. You can easily say, oh no, man, I got that covered. Don't worry, let's go on to the next topic or the next uh, uh, emphasis in the stereo phase. I know who my father is. I'm a son. It's not just about being politically correct in saying I have a father and hence I'm ideally positioned for the reception of, of grace. There are certain protocols that govern that relationship to make the flow of grace uh, more efficient or for you to access the maximum that is publicly possible by their arrangement. And for some of those things we will get in tonight, specifically tonight I want to speak about an open heart because no grace is going to flow if your heart is closed. And open, in this economy, in this arrangement, oh by the way, do you know, and if you read your note from the last session, I put this in as a little a two-liner when I discussed the word oikonomia. Oikonomia is discussed in your last session's notes. Do you know that the word oikonomia, stewardship, or dispensation of James, is also translated in English as economy? Economy. You check Strong's Dictionary, uh, Greek, Check Thayer, check Mounts, check Spino Zodiacs, all four of those guys translate oikonomia. One of, the, one of the ways to translate it is by the English term economy. Now, what is an economy? An economy exists essentially to take care of your needs. You enter an economy, and by virtue of the economic system you observe, you will be well taken care of, or at least you think you do. Okay? And I think the word is so aptly applicable in this instance because he's saying, watch this for you, if indeed you have heard of what? Of the economy of God's grace. He's, he's saying, in other words, if you enter the arrangement of the oikonomia, if you enter the arrangements of grace being distributed through the law or the word of God, from fathers to sons, in that arrangement is an economy designed to meet your every need. In that arrangement is an economy designed to be a blessing to you. It's an economy, if you access it, you will be well taken care of. Okay? All your needs will be met. God will give you everything that you need for life and for godliness. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He's given us all things that pertain to life, what you need for life, and for godliness within an economy, an arrangement where grace will flow from a father to and a son. To, 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 to a son. I love it. You will, if, you, if you know Samson's teachings well, you would often say the economy of grace. He's known to us by that term, the economy of grace. Publicly, it's absolutely correct. Because grace is an economy. Okay? So I want to encourage you. You see, grace will make you whom God has called you to be. And grace will empower your function in it. Remember, we spoke about two primary effects of grace. But once you enter it, there's no lack in this economy. Grace will be sufficient to provide for every single need you have. Right? Grace, both in terms of your maturation as a son of God, and to empower you with every resource that you need to get 
the will of God done by his design. Okay? So I tell you never there's no lack in this economy. No lack in the economy of grace. I want you to see grace in a different light. You see, because if we don't enter it, we'll always be deficient in one or more respects. God is saying there's a way in which I've, I've, I've predetermined, designed something for your benefit, for your better. It's called an economy. It's called my grace. It's found in my house, my oikos. Come into the house, observe the protocols. Honor, love the Father, in whom I've given the grace, given to him, designed to benefit you. It's called apostolic grace. If you enter it, you will never ever be deficient. Right? You'll be lacking nothing, as James would say. Right? Lacking nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No person can fully enter an economy called grace and still lack. Right? Something will be wrong in that if that's the case. Now, I want to go to Philippians chapter 1, we, we, we read this text a few weeks ago. I want to read it again and make this our starting point to discuss the issue at hand. Remember what we're talking about? An open heart of love for grace to flow. An open heart of love for grace to flow. We will start it now and possibly, I don't think we're going to end it this evening because of time, but we'll probably end this on Sunday. The Lord told me, as I was preparing this, I'm going to do some deep, open-heart surgery on some of your people. Because if the heart is not open, pointless talking for the rest of the series about grace, if you have a closed heart. You need to have an open heart to receive grace given to someone else or intended for you. Okay? Let's just read again Philippians 1. Verse 1 to 8. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. Remember, I told you, Paul is Timothy, co worship of the book. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the elders or the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What I want you to note as we read is the intensely affectionate terms that he uses in reference to them. As we continue reading, please note here is an apostolic father writing to a whole city together with his, his, his like-minded son Timothy. He's writing to a whole city, and he's writing to all the saints, the elders, the leaders of congregations, and deacons that do the, the labor or the menial task of creating environments in which elders can perform their function. So the deacon, the role of deacons. He says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. In every prayer for you all. I told you jokingly, sometimes when you pray, you don't pray with joy for something. He says, you guys, whenever you come to my I pray for you, a strange joy comes into my heart when I think of you guys. 
strongly affectionate toward you. When I pray for you, don't pray with sadness, don't pray with grief, but I pray with joy. Why? In view of what? In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day up until now. Notice that. First day, now the, what he's saying to them? The day I started my public ministry as an apostle, you guys were my greatest support. In fact, your support of me has remained uninterrupted from the very first day that I can remember. Even up to now, he says, you have participation with me. Right? Now this is, this is consistent. This kind of devotion, loyalty, and support that the Philippian church exhibited to Paul the Apostle had longevity. And it won't say uninterrupted. You know, in, in, when you work, you have like a breaking service. Yeah, there's no breaking service. This kind of loyalty is uninterrupted. It's there. There are people that Paul can always rely upon, always look to. I will encourage you for, the, for this week. Read the whole book of Philippians and see why. Right? I, I will refer to why in later sessions. Paul feels so strongly about this group. Right? He says, in view of your participation in the gospel, from the first day up until now. I am confident of this very thing. That he will begin a good work. And you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I spent one whole session discussing it. To no other church did Paul say this. says this only to the Philippians. You know this verse is a well quoted verse. Do you know there is another often quoted verse. In the book of Philippians. That is highly misquoted when it is quoted. By Christians. A lot of people quote, just go back to the verse, uh, John verse 6. A lot of people quote this verse. I am confident that he will begin. But he said it contextually to a certain caliber of sons. He is not saying it generally to the whole church. He's saying it to these people. Now you must know some scriptures could apply generally, generically to all sons of God anyway. But sometimes the context defines the eligibility of a certain scripture or its applicability to a certain class or group of people. In the same book of Philippians, he said, And my God will supply your needs. According to, um, have you heard that was that you quoted? Have you quoted it? I have many times. But you know that the people that have a right to quote that verse are the people that exhibited the characteristics of the Philippians. He doesn't say that generally to everybody. He says it to this group of people. And I'm almost tempted to get into it now, but I want to stay focused in terms of the theme at hand. But he says, I'm confident you guys are going to finish. The work he started will come to an end. Right? Remember I told you that Paul, he had a desire to finish? Did he finish? Yes, he said, I finished my course, I've run my race. Now there is laid for me a crown of righteousness. So watch. Whenever sons participate, partner in, support in a supportive manner to the apostolic fathering oversight, that apostolic father has a certain uniqueness of the grace attendance with him or her. The people that participate in the grace of that apostolic father then start to exhibit the same unique qualities that, that father, the apostolic father has. 
Yes, generally, all grace will come to you, like Paul would say to the Corinthians, right? And, and God is able to make all grace, uh, grace in its fullest complexity, all grace. But the specific side of grace unique to your Father in Christ will manifest itself overtly in, in your life. Right? Let's make this personal. And I say this to you in reference to our apostolic father, who is the Apostle Tamo. There's a certain uniqueness attendant with him. Sam has a specific uniqueness of grace attendant with, with him. Joseph Matera as they're all the same, but there's certain strengths that each one had. I am saying the strengths in our apostolic father, if we partner correctly, those will be overtly obvious within our lives. So what we need to check is, what is the strength of our participation? What is the strength of our love? What is the strength of the degree to which our hearts are fully open? I speak in reference to him as an expression of apostolic grace. Then also at the second tier level, you must ask yourself, to what degree is that now also expressed in reference to me as an elder of this local congregation? Connected to that apostolic grace. You understand? It, okay? All I'm saying, brethren, this is a, like a, a I'm giving you a pin card, giving you a clue, giving you a key. If you understand this and you position yourself accurately, I'm telling you um, what is true of the apostolic source to which we are connected and from which we derive grace will be true of you, will be true of us will be true of you and your family in your private capacity. And I want you to be, I'm going to build your faith tonight, you must be aware of this and you must want it. You must be aware of it and you must want it. And anytime you express any activity or mindset in reference of love or honor of that grace, please know this, you are positioning yourself to receive the uniqueness of that grace in your life. It's biblical. It's biblical. Some people will say, where did you study? Which Bible school did you go to? How do you know all these things? I say, well, I haven't been to a Bible school. I said, but how, how then do you access all this revelation? I said, I can only put it down to one thing. It's the grace to which I'm connected to. Yes. Let me just say this to you. If you plug in correctly, what is true of your apostle will be true of you. Yes. And let me just say, I want now to raise the bar in this congregation. I want you to raise your, your reach. You could all be the same. Yes. When you read your Bible, Revelation can flow like a mighty stream. Now what I'm trusting God for is that the grace that's, that uniquely attends Him, if it's resident within us, it will also produce the same results that is enjoyed there, we will enjoy here. Yes. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, I want you to cut. You must build, you must want this. You must say, if, if hey, yes, Paul, and there's no way this is group at full apart. He's saying of them, you guys support. You guys from the first day, uninterrupted, you plug in, you plug in. He says of them, I am confident. You will begin this good work, you will, and you will finish it. And he says, I've got this complete, this completing disposition and finishing dynamic about the grace given to me. It's going to be true of you. What's true of me will be true of you. But here's the issue. 
when I remember you with it, I pray for you with joy. Remember your participation in the gospel. And then in verse 7, just quickly, in verse 7, he says, It is only right for me to what? To feel this way about you. Uh, leaders feel about you. At least they should. Right? Leaders feel strongly about the people they lead. Because I have you in my heart. If you want to cross reference, just make a reference to 2 Corinthians 7. I have you, he says, in my heart. In 2 Corinthians 7, he said to the Corinthians, I have you in my heart, both to live and to die. Now, very strongly about the Corinthians as well. He says, since both in my imprisonment and in my defense, Confirmation of the gospel. You are what? You are partakers of grace with me. So the Philippian church partook of the grace of God vested in the apostle Paul. For God is my witness, verse 9, how I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Okay. Notice these terms of endearment. Verse 3, I thank my God when I remember you. In other words, I remember. What's he saying? You're always on my mind. You're not leading anybody because people know your mind. Well, they're not just in his head. He says in verse 7, I have you in my heart. This is heart leadership, not just head leadership. They occupy his mind and they pull his heart. When I pray for you, I pray with joy in every prayer for you. Tells me that he doesn't pray once for them. He says in every prayer for you. They flood his prayer life as you do mine. And he says in verse 7, it is only right for me to feel this way about you. Verse 8, I long for you. Terms he used with affection. He won't say affection. Is this a loving apostle or what? No, we don't. Whenever we think of this apostle Paul, we think of the strong man full of doctrine. You creep into Paul's heart. You find our heart pulsating with love. You find our heart deeply concerned about his sons in the Lord. You find our heart that is filled with, with so much affection, so much deep affection for those that he leads. I call this heart leadership, not, not head leadership. Look what he said to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2. And verse 7 and 8. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 and verse 8. For God is my witness, how I long for you, again he says, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased. Well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. But also what? Our very lives also. Because you have become dear to us. Because you have become dear to us. But look what he says. You see, he says, we were well pleased. I've got this fond and affection. That's an affection. It's fond and affection. And he says, I was well pleased not just to impart the gospel of God, but what? 
my very own life. Some versions say my own soul. You see, how does grace flow? Grace flows by the word of God. I told you that not so. When word flows, grace is couched in words. You hear the word of God, you are teaching your doctrine. What is your spirit receiving? Grace. But there's a quality of grace also that does not just flow from the message of the grace carrier, but from the life of the grace carrier. He said, I will impart to you the gospel. But because of my affection to you, I will, not just, I will not just stop at preaching to you, but I'm prepared to impart my own life to you. Right? So there's grace impartation by word, the word that you hear, the word that you preach. But there's also grace impartation by observing the life, considering the behavior, embracing the totality of the person of the grace carrier. Comes to you. For some people say, I want the grace that he carries in his word, but I don't want him. It's not going to work. You can't want the grace without wanting and embracing the, the grace carrier. But Paul is saying, listen carefully, and this is where the apostolic movie is great. You see, this will be very hard to fake because you can parade and, and, and attempt to impart grace by your preaching. But you can't do it by a fake lifestyle. Especially when you are to, it's expected of you that you become what you preach. So you can impart by message and you can be impart by the quality of your life. Remember Hebrews 13, 7, I think it is, or 13, 17, where, where it says, remember those who led you and who spoke to you, the word of God. Remember those, verse 7 it is, remember those who led you and who spoke to you, the the word of God. So what when they speak to you the word of God, what do they do? They impart grace by their speaking. But the verse also says, what must you consider? It says, consider the results of their conduct. And then you copy them. You don't just copy them based on what they are saying. You copy them after examining does their lifestyle, their, their actual behavior, Match up with the word they proclaim, then I only copy. So tell your neighbor, don't copy blindly. You copy, you don't, and I say this to myself too, don't just get impressed by what you hear yet. Rather talk to my wife and ask her, is this man that's standing in front of you, is he the same one at home? Because many leaders wear two faces, one at church and one at home. One at church and one in the workplace. One at church and one of the sports people. Right? Spiritual fathers are to be the same in any context. Because we are the word that we proclaim. So too I want to say to you. I have so far an affection for you. Like Paul did to Philippi and to Thessalonica. I have so far an affection for you. Not only willing to impart to you the truth of the gospel. But we are willing to impart to you our very souls. Our very lives. As a standard for you to behold, by God's grace, we will be what we are called to be. What we are. We are what we are by the grace of God. It's not us, it's pure expressions of the grace of God working in and through our lives. Okay. Now, remember how I titled this? I titled this An Open Heart of Love for Grace Flow. An open heart of love 
or grace flow. And I said to you, the focus is going to be grace dispensed from open hearts in fathers to open hearts in sons. Now, question Is Paul, as an apostolic father, does he have a big heart? Obviously, the man is. But this magnanimous, a massive heart of love, affection, deep love for the people that God has called him um, to father in, in the law. So fathers must have this disposition of love. But sons too must also have the disposition of an open heart to receive what the father wants to impart from his open heart. For if one of the hearts are closed of either party, grace is highly frustrating. Say it again. One of the hearts of either dimension is closed for any reason. No matter how much the potential grace is resident or present, very little grace will be imparted. A closed heart has the effect of restricting or suffocating the grace flow. Now, let's quickly talk. Um, you know the text, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Uh, we've discussed this in times past, but I want to draw reference to it again. I'll just allude perhaps to, to something specific here. Yeah. The last verse in the Old Covenant ends like this. The last verse in the Old Testament. Malachi being the last book. Malachi 4 being the last chapter. Verses 5 and 6 of that chapter being the very last verses in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant ends. The Old Testament ends with a huge promise. Behold, it says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And what will he do? He will restore the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the earth with what? With a curse. Just click on King James. You know the text in the King James. I like the, the phraseology. It says in verse 6, he will what? He will turn. Now the word turn is the Hebrew shub. S-H-U-B. Shub. Or some, some say some, SUV. And it literally means to turn again. I like the, the King James rendering here. To turn. Or, and it literally means, as, the, as we read it in ASB, to restore or to reconnect or to turn again. But I like the idea of turning because turning suggests you are going one way and your heart was positioned one way. But it says your heart, what must turn your your heart needs to turn. But whose heart turns first in the order of things here? Father's hearts turn before sons' hearts do. In fact, in some sectors of the church, there's huge expectation laid on sons to turn, when in fact the father's heart is closed. Sons' hearts only turn to a turned father's heart. The emphasis first and the responsibility first is on Fathers to turn to their sons. And I think responsibly or reciprocally, the son would naturally respond to a turned heart in a father. Not all the time, not all, not all, not, not in all cases, but I think most often, the son's heart would turn in response to a, 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 a turned heart in one who is his father in the Lord. And he sees that. It will be a natural, reciprocal response. 
Remember the text I love quoting? It's not that we love God, but that He loves us first. First John 14 and 17, I think, says that. It's not that we love God. It says we love Him because He first loved us. Now, is God our Heavenly Father? So who loves first? Father or potential sons? Father loves, and then it says, as in response to that demonstrated love, the son is able to love because of a first loving father. Father loves first. Right? I'm saying this to challenge myself. Right? I need to love more, much more than I do. But also to challenge you. If you hope to father anybody, the principal thing you must develop in your heart is a heart of tremendous love for those that you need. In fact, no one is qualified to lead anybody they do not love. You have no business leading anybody you don't love. So you still want to be a leader? I tell you, especially our leaders, because some house church leaders and other leaders in different capacities here. In fact, even in your workplace, you might be a leader of some sort. No leader, publicly, is qualified for leadership if his heart is not turned to those that he's designed to lead. The people's heart will turn to you. So now I always, um, and you know, you're not always responsible for the state of your people. Not always. Some people will still do their own thing, even response to a turned heart. But as far as you can help it, you must demonstrate love and the fact that you are turned toward people. When they see that, hopefully it will activate something in them and they'll turn towards you. Okay? Because even the love of our Father, some people still reject. So that's not true all the time, but as far as we can help it, we must, it doesn't take away the responsibility from us to consistently demonstrate a loving disposition. Amen. And by God's grace, I, I know to the best of our ability, our hearts have been turned to this, at least this community, and to people everywhere. Um, you know, sometimes we go out of our way, even for people that are not part of this local fellowship, you know, um, Julie will actually tell you. And sometimes they take up a lot of time, a lot of resources. But what are we demonstrating? You see, your father, even though you are required to minister to those that are not your sons, you don't want to be a father to your sons. You are father, period. Irrespective. That disposition within you doesn't alter no matter who is in front of you. So you'll exhibit the same kind of love, care for anybody that God uh, expects you to respond to in that fashion. Amen. So, let's look at the turned-hearted son. And here's a challenge. I know time is running away with us. But I want to challenge you, and I will continue this vein. And we're going to trust God for some open-heart surgery on Sunday. Right? This vein on to what degree is your heart turned? To what degree is your heart fully restored? So ask your neighbor, do you have a turned heart? Do you have a turned heart? And you might sit there and say, Adam, we've heard this, we did a whole series on Ruth and Naomi, Sancho before. What's the big deal now? God is revisiting this issue with us. Because some of us, we think that our hearts are completely turned. But some of us have only turned 20 degrees. See at least, but you're not fully engaged. Not this 180 degree turn where you're completely embracing of the grace resource 
and he's given to you. Amen. Please remember it whenever you turn. Watch. Remember the NASP said, I will restore the word some. So turning is actually a reinstatement back to a prior position from which you have fallen. If you are restored to something, it means you were there before, but you, you, you've lost place. And I speak to you in love. I speak to myself as a father in reference to these things. And I speak to myself also as a son. I need to turn far more fully. I need to turn holistically. Revelation chapter 1, quickly. I'll give it a few verses, but I'll get to the details. Some of these principles are demonstrated in other verses, which you can read when you get your notes. I'll go to the main ones quickly. This we've seen before, but I want to demonstrate now. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what do you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Leah, Dorsia. And here is the text. I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands was one like the son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching his feet and girded across his breast the golden the golden girdle. Now John says he heard a voice, the sound of a trumpet. A trumpet indicates prophetic word or prophetic warning. And he says, and the voice said he has right a letter to the seven churches. And he says, I turn not to hear the voice, I turn to see the voice. Grammatically incorrect. Because you turn to hear voices, you don't turn to see voices. But he wanted to locate, not uh, with orally, not with ears, sound of words. His heart was to locate the source of the sound, not the sound itself. Otherwise, the text would have read, I turn to hear, but he said, no, I want to hear, I want to see the voice. So he knew it was God's voice, but his concern is, in what construct or methodology does this voice come to me? And he says, having turned, he did not, does not say, I saw the Son of God. If the text said that, I saw the Son of God, yes, we would have said, Jesus in his divinity. But the text rightly says, I saw the Son of Man. Now, Jesus in the Gospels is both called the Son of God and the Son of Man. But whenever the text reads Son of Man, it references what? His humanity. Right? Like Mark 16 or Matthew 16, Jesus asked him, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter would say, No, you Son of Man, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he was saying to them, What is the view about my humanity? Peter by Revelation said, In your humanity I can see divinity. So when John said, I turn to see the voice, he said, I saw a human. So the principle is, the voice of the divine can emanate from a human vessel. When the human speaks, this would most often be your spiritual father. 
You don't hear the sound of man's words. You hear the sound of the Heavenly Father's voice being voiced in and through human, a human vessel in human words. We refer to this as the voice within the voice. The voice of God in the voice of men. Okay? Now, why am I referencing this? You see, I want you to get, I want to get you to turn fully in your heart. But the first import, the first factor that's going to turn you is what you hear. And your estimation of the source in what you hear. Your heart will never ever turn if you don't esteem what you hear. If you place great value on what you hear, your heart is ready to turn. Because the Bible says, he said, I heard a voice, then I turned to see. If he discounted what he heard, he would not have turned. If he thought this voice, well, I disesteem it, I think lightly of it, I devalue it, there will be no turning. But he turns to see because he places value on the voice. But God is spirit. And spirit doesn't have a form. It's formless. It's not insubstantive. We know that spirit is substantive. It's full of grace. There are substance. But it is formless from a human perspective. But when spirit speaks, when the Hebrew spirit speaks, he speaks in and through men, that he speaks to other men. Spiritual father acts or speaks on behalf of the spirit of the living God to people. But if you're still toying with this issue in your mind, is this Randolph's opinion? Or is what he's saying the voice of God? There are many people that haven't come to this place of saying, like Paul said to the Thessalonians, when we came to you, we preached the word to you, and he said to them, the word we preached to you, you did not receive as the words of men, but what they were truly are, the words of God. I still find, in many contexts that I go to, there's still the tension and the tussle within the years of word. They, they would appraise and dissect a sermon and say, well, that was Randolph's view, but that was God. That was Easter, but that was God. Right? That you must, you must cancel in your mind. Otherwise, it's going to impact if you don't turn to the voice, your heart will never turn to the man. If you don't turn to the voice fully, in other words, if you're going to leave this building tonight and say, well, I've heard the word of God tonight, and I make a decision that I'm going to believe the voice of God in the voice of the one whom God has placed over me so much, I will not discount, doubt, disesteem, or bring it into question even for one second, I guarantee you, brethren, you are positioning yourself for a deluge of grace. It starts with cancelling your opinion in the mind and saying, I set that opinion aside and I wholly embrace that this is God's voice to me. He speaks, Randolph speaks, but it's really God. You've come not to see a man tonight. You come to hear God, I hope, tonight. Yes, yes. You didn't come to show your face tonight? Let me show my face to be faithful. You come to hear God? Yes. If you come to show your face, grace has already missed you. 
If you come to say, I'm sitting because I'm hearing the voice of God in a voice of man, you are the ideal recipient for grace. You see, what we are, what, what God is judging in this season is being politically correct, but your heart is not in it. Pastor Lefoy used to often give us a, a, an analogy. Some of you might remember this. There was a, a lady with a little girl in church, Anglican church, and she was standing on the chair, the little girl naughty, and screaming. Mother is getting so embarrassed by this child, and just keeps pulling the child. Sit down, sit down. The more she reprimands, the child goes up a notch. This embarrassment. She threatens the child. I don't know what you see, but eventually the child says, quietly behave for the whole and the mother also, yeah, why, why are you so well behaved? She said, no, I'm sitting down. But in my heart, I'm standing up. <laughs> I'm only sitting down outwardly, but in my heart, I'm standing up. You know, outwardly, you could, you could cut the picture of being faithful, being supportive, loyal. But there could be another position in your heart that's cancelling everything you're doing outwardly. Yes. What we after now, you see, we're talking about grace. Everyone say grace. You know, it, it, I, I, I didn't know we were going to talk about these things. Honestly, this is the leading of the Lord. If your heart completely is not in it, forget about grace. If you are not turned fully in your heart, it is, not, it is any still residue of doubt as to, am I in the right place? Am I rightly connected? Um, is Randolph my father in the Lord or not? If there's still those issues in your heart, I'm suggesting to us tonight, let's resolve those issues. I believe God wants resolution for those issues. And your heart needs to be turned fully for you to engage. You know what I believe God is doing by reminding us of these, what seem, what should be elementary at this stage. You know what God is doing? He's preparing a context because of the quality and the quantum of grace. It's about to come. God said this to me today. I said, Lord, but haven't we now, we, these things should have been under our balance already. Should we go over to other things? I want to go on to other things. But the Holy Ghost said this to me. I'm, I want you now to prepare your people in the deep inner recesses of their hearts to receive and nothing will be lost of the grace deluge I'm about to download to it was grace, grace can leap, you know what I mean? Grace can. The Bible says you receive the grace in vain. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 3, or verse 2. You also said, um, How be it that you frustrate the grace? Right? Hebrews 12. You come short of grace. Three terms that speak negatively about grace in the Bible. I, want, I don't want no one, in, at least in our context, to come short of the grace of God that He has given um, to us. Amen. Now, it's five past eight. Let me take five minutes. So, we say that this by quarter past to be out of it. Marks it. Okay, marks it. Let's just quickly examine Lot as, as, as an example. Lot as an example. You'll find these the, the references indeed in Genesis chapter 13 to some of the things that I'm about to say. I don't have time to actually read 
Jesus. What does Lot mean? <laughs> Amongst other things, it means well. In other words, one who cannot see. He was nephew to Abraham. Not so. And um, he accompanied Abraham when the Lord told Abraham to leave earth and shall leave. And the Bible says, and Lot went with him. It seems as though Abraham took Lot under his wing, as it were. And under his covering, Lot seemed to prosper. As Abraham became mighty and had many livestock, the Bible says, so did Lot. I think he prospered by virtue of his association and, and his connection to Abraham. Notice Abraham, what I've done at this stage, he's not Abraham. His name will be later changed to Abraham. But at this stage, he's not Abraham. What does Abraham mean? Exalted on or high father. He's not at this stage Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. At this stage, he is exalted father. Now, names were given to denote character or destiny in the scriptures. Names were given with two things in mind what you are or what you will do, your character or your destiny. So, Abraham, his name is significant because it means exalted father. Now, I, I like to do this whenever I say exalted father. The fathering principle in the man was to be lifted up, high father, or exalted father. Yeah, he's a potential son. I don't call Lot a son. I call him a potential son to a father in his midst. I believe if Lot turned fully toward Abraham, he would have embraced Abraham as a father. But by virtue of his name and his internal pursuit toward the flesh, he had fleshly lustful pursuits within him. How do I know that? The Bible says it was after their separation, he positioned himself towards Sodom. And by the time you read of God's intent to destroy Sodom, where is Lot? In the gates of Sodom. Now you're only in the gates of a city if you're the elder of a city. By this time, he got so assimilated into the culture of the ethos of that, that wicked place, he became a leading man in a wicked environment, but was unable, graceless, to influence that environment. Even when the angel warned him, Lot, get out of this place. Remember? He was, I'm going to destroy it. Was Lot saved, by the way? God had mercy on him. God warned him before he destroyed it. But the, the warning came to Lot, get out of this place. And when Lot, remember he had two daughters from Mary? The Bible says when Lot went to his sons-in-law, the husbands of his two daughters, and he warned them of the impending danger, Bible clearly says it seemed to his sons-in-law as if Lot was jesting. And they did not heed the warning. Lot managed to convince only his wife and two daughters and they left the city, remember? And there the sons-in-law were destroyed. Lot's wife looked back, as you know, and she turned into a pillar of, pillar of salt. Lot lands up where? In a cave on some mountain. Remember? And his daughters were worried that they would not produce kids. They made their father drunk. The eldest slept with him the one night. She got pregnant. The other one the next night made him drunk. Slept with him. Both girls were pregnant in two nights. Produced who? Two sons. Moab and Ammon. Moab and Ammon became two great nations. The Moabites and the 
Ammonites. Moab means who needs a father? So one who despises Abraham as a father produces a whole nation that discounts the need for father. And by the way, Ammon is the tribal spirit that also is poised against patriarchal leadership. So, to get back to the story, you're blind, so you don't know what Abraham represents. So you haven't turned fully to see. After the separation, remember? God promises Abraham they will give him a son. God renames him. God says, by virtue of what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a son. Uh, and in fact, he said, kings now are going to come from your loins. Kings are going to come from your loins. And your name is now changed to Abraham, Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Was Lot questioned? I want to ask you a question. Was Lot privy to that promise? Potentially. Did he, but he never got to experience it. You see, if you can't see the exalted father in a person, when that father grows in grace to father multitudes, at that stage of that father's development, you will not be you will not be a beneficiary of that increased grace in the father. Now, why do I say increased grace? Remember, I said to you to to change the English Abraham to Abraham means what? What must you insert? H A. Right? But in the Hebrew, to 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 change Abraham to Abraham, you insert one. Hebrew character in the Hebrew alphabet, and it's the fourth character called Hey. Five is what? Grace. Grace. So think about this. When Abraham is changed from Abraham to Abraham, what is God prophetically doing? He's giving more grace. As Abraham, as Abraham, you already got grace to Father. But if the Son does not esteem, exalt, as his name suggests, Abraham, if the Son does not exalt that principle and esteem that principle in the one that fathers him. Watch. When that father, by virtue of his faithfulness, now starts to grow and receive a hey, another deluge of grace. And you see, let me just say this with you. Many people don't understand this. The will of God attends you privately. But there's also a will of God for your father. So as your father grows in grace and his ambit and metron now grows from exalted father, you see it's this way, it's longitudinal, it's exalted father. Now God says to him, now its effect is going to be lateral. It will be father of many nations. If you fail to exalt him as father, when he grows into an increased metron of grace, a grace from which you think and you want to benefit from, you cannot benefit from the father of a multitude until you are honored, the exalted father. You understand what I'm saying? You're talking symbolically. I'm, I'm speaking to you prophetically. Do you know what I saw as I prepared this at ALS? Sam said it. Bamal has grown in leaps and bounds. Remember Sam said this? For those of you who are present. Now, brethren, I need you to be spiritually perceptive. I am saying now to us all, the, the metron or the ambit of fathering has grown significantly just in this course of this year. When, when I heard Sam say that, I was in my mind thinking, wow, this is like 
God coming again to Abraham and say, No more Abraham, now Abraham, new diligent grace, now your father in grace will span multitudes. But guess what? You are son under that covering. The grace is now stronger than ever before. The grace is now more powerful than ever before. Now is the time to really lock in and to access that grace as never before. Remember what God said to Abraham when he first called him. He knew all the families of the earth will be what? You look at Lot's family. Is it family blessed? No. It's like, the, let me just say this. The, the promise given to the Father was designed to benefit all the sons. Because the prophetic promise to Abraham was in you, families will be blessed, but here Lot's family goes away unblessed. Right? Now I tell you never, I refuse for my family to be unblessed. I refuse to when grace increases. Some of some of us is escaping some of you. Pick this up in my spirit. Open your eyes. You see, Lot's eyes are closed, his eyes are veiled. Open your eyes to see the deep, powerful deposit of grace that is designed to bless you coming months and years. You are not going to be able to handle the force of blessing that comes upon you from a father who has now become a father of a multitude until you esteem the exalted position of father in the person. Tell your neighbor, hey, hey, hey. hey. I speak prophetically. Tell them, hey, look, letter of the alphabet. I'm saying to you, in our apostolic covering, there's been the insertion of a hey, recently, of a quality of grace. And when I pray, I say, Lord, I'm a son in this house. In this stewardship, in this oikos, I want it nemoed out to me too. I want to be the recipient of this, this great grace. This great grace is here and it's here designed to benefit you. Caution. Don't wait to see the results of an increased grace in apostolic father. And you see it grow. And you see the results attained but then you say, well, virtue of what I see then I want in now. I'm saying just prophetically now see. Don't wait for the results to manifest. I'm alerting us to an increased quantum and quality of the grace of God that attends our household of faith. Lift your hands. I thank you, loving Father, for, for tonight. I thank you for the word that we have heard. As we see, so we speak. Help us not to be like Lot, whose heart does not turn towards one that you put within his sphere to father Help us always to exalt the principle of Father and the one that you placed over us. To love and to honor and to respect. To have an open heart of love, of honor, of deep affection, one affection, one towards the other. Father, we, as we echoed your prophetic intent to us, we, we pray to you now. We sense the insertion of a unique grace endowment within our apostolic father. We've heard it. We've heard you witness it. We resonate with it. Today we say we exalt it. We highly esteem it. 
We highly esteem the vessel. We highly honor and love the vessel. We highly honor and love those who place even locally over us in this house. Our hearts are wide open to receive the benefit and benefit from the grace that has increased significantly. We don't wait to see its outward manifestation. We want to buy in and participate in it now. I ask, especially now, Father, for double portion of this grace. Yes. We dare to ask for double portion. You said in your word that Elijah said to Elisha, that if he sees him when he is taken or when he ascends, it will be given to him. We behold the ascent of our apostolic form. We yes. see it. Yes. We observe it and we recognize it. We too say, my father, my father, the horsemen and the chariots of Israel. Father, we, we bow before you. Let our prayer penetrate the heavens even tonight, Father. And God, we position ourselves. I pray whatever is lacking in any expression, in any life, the, the economy of grace, this grace, this increased grace, will supply it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be no lack at any level. There'll be no deficiency, but only grace, sufficiency, God. We are so thankful for where you placed us, for how you arranged things. With deep gratitude, with profound humility, Father, we look to you. We offer thanksgiving for the manner of your King. And for the things you call us to do. We are what we are by your grace. And by your grace, we, we declare we will be successful in the things you call us to do. And right now, Father, we affirm fullness, satiation, complete provision of every resource we would need privately, domestically, corporately, within our homes, within our marriages, within our workplaces, within our businesses. I declare that you are grace sufficient. Every single one of you is grace sufficient in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I impart the grace, the insertion of the hay within your construct. While we do not see it, we believe it. The increased grace to a brand new metron and sphere. And we declare, Father, that we will be privy to experience this. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.